you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, it's my privilege to share the word with you today, and I want to encourage you to lean in and take some notes. Uh, Let's hear from the Holy Spirit. Let me pray over our time. Father, I thank you for these precious moments that we're going to share. I thank you for Movement Church and Pastors Carrie and Megan and their team. I pray you'd use me, speak through me to minister to everyone listening right now. We honor your word in Jesus' name. Well, hey, I'm aware that you guys are just finishing up the first week of 21 days of prayer and fasting. You are in this pursuit and I want to encourage you, let's run after God. Uh, Maybe you're new to the whole thing of prayer and fasting. Uh, Jump in, you know, maybe it's a meal we're going to miss or we're going to push back some entertainment, maybe one day a week, but we're going to set aside time to seek the Lord. Come on, let's run after him. If there was ever a time to seek God in our nation and for our families and our communities, I would say this week would be it. Amen. It's a good time to pursue God. Now, the whole premise or thesis of the Pursuit series, the Pursuit devotional, which I hope you're going through, is found right here in Hebrews 11.6. Let's go straight to the word. 11.6 in the Amplified Version I'm reading. But without faith, it's impossible to walk with God and please Him. For whoever comes to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. So let's think about this. God is a rewarder. You cannot earnestly and diligently seek God without running into the reward. And here's a reminder of a verse you've already studied in this series, Jeremiah 29, 13, again from the Amplified. The Lord says, then with a deep longing, you will seek me. And require me as a vital necessity. And you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. This Hebrew term to seek or to search, it means to create a well-worn path to the object of your seeking. And that's what we're doing during these days of fasting and prayer. We're saying, God, we're serious about this. We're passionately running after you. We're carving a well-worn path in the place of prayer and in the place of worship. And he promises us that we will find him in the process. Well, today I want to talk to you about a real paradox in the word of God that actually happens as we fast and pray. And here it is. The real power that we're looking for in our lives. The real power is found in becoming powerless. I want to talk to you today about being powerless. Now, the Apostle Paul will read some of his words in just a moment. You know, he often found himself in this situation, didn't he? He was in over his head in his ministry and in life. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was left for dead. He would go into a city and there would be a riot. There would be violence and come to find out he was the focal point and the reason for that riot, for that violence. And he he also, Paul, carried uh, some limitations and some internal weaknesses, And these can be the toughest ones, not the external circumstances, but the things we struggle with inside, like, you know, insecurities and inadequacies and I'm not enough for this situation. And so Paul carried this issue of feeling weak and feeling vulnerable and feeling unqualified. I know I've lived a lot of life in ministry feeling those things and perhaps you've shared those emotions as well. But then 
we find Paul discovering a truth in the middle of his weakness or this powerless state that he lived in. Uh, we find him, first of all, begging God to remove the thing that weakened him, which is a common prayer. God, just make it go away, fix my situation, make it all better. But there's a reason that God allows continual pain or for us to walk through prolonged valleys. So let's pick this up in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. This is a conversation that Paul's having with the Lord. So each time he requested that the thorn or the weakness be removed, God said, my grace is all you need. In other words, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all you need. And here it is. My power works best in weakness. Can you just say that out loud wherever you're at? My power works best in weakness. So now this is Paul saying, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses and so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Familiar verse, but I wanna, I wanna break open the power that's found in that line. When I'm weak, then I am strong. In other words, my recognized weakness, my embraced weakness becomes a portal for the very power of God that I'm looking for. You know, fasting is a way that we intentionally embrace our weakness. King David said, I humbled my soul with fasting. And if you've fasted for any length of time, maybe a two, three day juice fast, water fast, you'll notice something. You feel very vulnerable. And as your flesh begins to long for sustenance, you find a weakness in every area of your life and things in our heart begin to be exposed. And it really is a self-imposed weakness. And it's a physical posture that says this. As I fast, as I pray, as you go into a pursuit, you're saying, God, I can't fix this situation. I don't have enough power in myself to solve the problems. And maybe for you, you're facing a financial mountain or a relational mountain that's in front of you. Perhaps there's moms and dads and your kids are far from God and you've prayed your best prayer and you're not seeing the progress or the comeback that you've been longing for. Now, I know to say that we're powerless and to make that confession, first of all, it's counterintuitive and it's definitely countercultural, isn't it? Our culture says, hey, you got this, you can do it, you're strong enough, it's you. And really, it's just a, a version of secular humanism over the generations, uh, really esteeming and exalting the human capacity. And I'm not diminishing that, but here's the key. Paul said, I can do all things, and that's true, but you must add the through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I've discovered this in my journey and it's this, when I'm operating in my own power, my own resources, my own talent, charisma, whatever it might be, that I actually have a lot less power than I thought. And I can't, I can't fix some things in my own life. For instance, I don't have enough power to heal my own wounded heart. I need a healer to come and do that. I don't have enough power to forgive my own sins. And you've probably heard people say, hey, you just got to forgive yourself. And, and I believe that, especially if God has forgiven you and you're still hanging on to that thing in your past. But forgiving myself without first receiving the forgiveness of Jesus doesn't get me very far. I need the finished work of the cross in order to bring the power of forgiveness in my life. I don't have enough power to remove my own guilt. I need someone to do that for me. I don't have enough power in myself to speak to mountains, as Jesus said, and watch them be removed 
I don't have enough power to deal with the spiritual forces in my world and to uh, cast out demons and heal the sick. It's kind of like in Matthew 17. Remember, Jesus had gone up to the Mount of Transfiguration with his three inside boys. And, you know, they, they meet with God and they have this vision and they come back down the hill. And there was this father who brought a demonized son to the other disciples and said, hey, could you cast this demon out? And they were unable to do it. So when Jesus gets back down off the mountain, the dad kind of busts out the disciples and says, hey, Jesus, I brought my son to you, your guys here and they couldn't cast out this spirit. First, Jesus rebukes the crowd and the disciples. Oh, you of little faith. He brings the boy to him and cast out that evil spirit. And then he said this. Some of these spiritual forces do not come out except by prayer and fasting. So there's a power released as, as we humble ourselves and we recognize I'm powerless to deal with some of these issues without a flow of God's power. I'm inadequate to face it all. You know, I think this, this past year, this COVID year 2020 has been a startling revelation and confirmation of how out of control life can actually get and how many things are outside of our control. So more than ever, guys, listen, a full dependency upon the king and the kingdom and his power flowing through us. And we can position ourselves to and our families and our finances and everything about us to move into this power as we embrace our weakness. So I'm going to read you a, a bit of a, a Bible narrative here and let me set up the story. Around uh, 870 B.C., okay, 870 years B.C., there was a king reigning over Israel by the name of Jehoshaphat. Now, in Israel's history, there were 43 different kings that reigned over Israel and Judah over the space of about 450 years. It was called the Era of the Kings. But out of those 43 kings, only six of them were righteous kings. Only six of them started strong and finished strong and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Well, maybe six and a half if you count Solomon, who started out strong uh, to about halfway down his track. And then anyway, he started dating the wrong people and sleeping went around and things went horribly wrong as they do. So really, we have this small balance of power. We have these six kings that did right in the sight of the Lord and Jehoshaphat was one of those. And, and through his obedience and through his heart after God, under his righteous leadership, he actually flipped the script of a nation. He actually reversed the curse of a nation and saw the power of God in a powerless situation. And the miracles that they experienced, that I'm going to read in just a moment, they, uh, they're available for you right now. We can position ourselves just as we can learn from Second Chronicles and how Jehoshaphat and the people of God positioned themselves in their powerless state and saw God move in their life. And then I, I want to give you some application, some action steps. So for you note takers, I'm going to give you four of these. You can write them down. First, let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 20. And this is how to position yourself for power during this season of pursuit. It says this, after this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching out against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They already, um, excuse me, they are already at Hezazan Tamar. That's another name for Engedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah, they came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. 
The first application point I want you to get is this. Number one, we got to respond to the call to seek the Lord. You know where God is taking your pastors and all of you at Movement Church as a community. You're not going to be able to get there without a divine move of God and without the power of God moving in your life, which means we all got to respond. And it's not just for the pastors or the worship team or the lead team to pursue God. And yeah, you guys go. No, God calls a community. I want, I want to jump ahead to verse 13 for a moment, then we'll go back and show you this picture of what happened with the people of Israel. Verse 13 says, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children, the spirit of the Lord came. Now, when the spirit of the Lord comes, everything changes. The spirit of the Lord came and we'll read about this prophetic word and this battle strategy. But first, it required everyone being involved. Look at this picture. We got these big soldiers and, you know, warriors and men of God and the farmers and they brought their wives and their children and they're all standing before the courts of God and his presence shows up. Something happens when a church moves together in unity. Don't underestimate your contribution in this fast and in the intercession required to change the spiritual climate of your city. You know, even a wicked city. Remember when God sent... Uh, Jonah to Nineveh and basically this wicked city and the word was this in 40 days you're all going to be destroyed it's over God's had it he's going to judge Nineveh but a wicked king he turned and he said we're going to humble ourselves and you know what he did he called the entire city to a multi-day fast not just the people this is crazy you can read it in Jonah he actually said even the animals are going to fast and wear sackcloth and ashes. Can you imagine that? Now, we're not going that far, but, you know, if you, if you made the kitty go without the food for a few days or the dog Roscoe's got to put on a little burlap vest. <laughs> but he called the entire community and city of Nineveh to humble themselves and God intervened. Well, back to verse five. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. And he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You're the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You're powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? Did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. Here's the second application point. You got to recall God's power and remind him of his promises. That's what Jehoshaphat was doing. Did you not? And did you not? And remember Abraham. Now listen, we don't mind remind God of his promises because he's suffering from memory loss. We don't rehearse what he did in the past or talk about what he did in our lives verbally and out loud because somehow God has forgot about you running this busy universe. No, we remind God as a form of intercession and that builds faith in us. And so he began to recall what God had done. God, you said, God, you've done. And as we rehearse what God has done in the past, here's what happens we actually start to believe that he can do it again. I've seen you move, you move the mountains and God, I believe you're gonna do it again. So let me encourage you very practically. I know you're a church that believes in the gifts of the spirit and, and prophecy and God speaks to his people. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They recognize it, they follow me. So God is not a God who's just spoken, but he is speaking. 
So if you have any prophetic words, perhaps years gone by, you were reading the Logos word and it turned into the rhema and God breathed on it and spoke something specifically to you. Or maybe like myself, you've written down prophecies that have been given or, you know, you've transcribed a prophetic word off your phone that someone gave you. And my practice over 24 years of pastoring this church has been, begin, has been excuse me, to get out those words and to rehearse them out loud and remind God about what he said. Well, hey, God hasn't forgotten one single word he's spoken over this church or our future. But what it does, it creates faith in my heart. And I bring my conversation and my confession into alignment with what God has said. So remind yourself what God has done when he saved you, when he delivered you, when he launched your church, the financial miracles of the past, the healings you've experienced. And as you declare what he's done, you're going to believe again that, Lord, I've seen you move and you can do it again. Come on. Now, number three, we got to recognize and confess, guys. We got to recognize and confess. It's so important to speak this out that I am, in fact, powerless without God's help in my life. Yeah, and I know it sounds like a negative confession or countercultural, but it's actually a positive one. If you've lived for very long on this planet, I'm sure you've recognized that there's a continual series of predicaments and problems that are just, they're over my head. God, I can't fix it. It's above my pay grade. I, I think the word conundrum is appropriate. And that is a confusing and a difficult problem that doesn't have an apparent answer. We find ourselves in these conundrums. And instead of getting all worried and anxious, you know, the word tells us, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Present your request to God with thanksgiving and then you get some peace. So instead of just freaking out, bring it before that presence like we talked about earlier and then declare that you don't have the power and something happens. You see, God's attracted to your humble state. When you humble yourself, when you say, Lord, I can't fix this on my own, but I'm standing here in your presence. Holy Spirit begins to draw close. As it says in Psalm 51, he, he's near the brokenhearted. Look at verse 11 and 12. This is Jehoshaphat praying. He says, they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? And here it is. We are powerless. We're powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now, this is a moment here. are going to leave that verse up for a second. This is a moment of potential power for someone. Because I believe there's people watching right now and you're living this. You do not know what to do in your circumstance right now. But I'd invite you to join me to say this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That's the key right there. Our weakness in this moment becomes that portal for the very power of God. So here they stand. They're waiting on God in his temple. They've called everybody to fast as you have. They've gathered together, and I can't wait till we can all gather in one building, group hug, come on, somebody. And now they're saying, God, we're powerless in our own strength. And guys, this is when God shows up. Don't kid yourself. You can't humble your soul and humble yourself without God exalting you. You can't seek him without running right into him. You can't do 21 days of pursuit without getting heaven's attention for your family, for your church, and for your community. So here we go. God shows up and verse 14, it says, the spirit of the Lord 
came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite, who was a descendant of Asaph. Pause right there for a moment. The reason I read the genealogy is here's a guy who had a history in the house of the Lord. He's a Levite. He's on the worship team. And now God uses him in a, in a key moment to bring the one who says, hey, I'm hearing from God. Let me just say something. For those of you that have been around the kingdom, maybe you're a generational Christian and you've spent some years in the house. During this season, God wants to use you to get a fresh word that you can bring to the community. It's not always the pastor or those on stage that have the key word. And so God uses Jehaziel. Here's what he says, verse 15. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. It's God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You'll find them coming up through the valley of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow for the Lord is with you. The fourth thing I want you to get is this. As we fast, as we humble ourselves, as we confess our dependency, then we need to receive and take action on the God-given strategy. Receive and take action. He's going to give you a strategy for your family a strategy for your job, a strategy for your ministry, a strategy for that thing that looks so impossible as we wait on him. The Lord will be faithful to tell us what to do. But I think it's, it even more emphasizes the point of the message because God gives them this strategy that brings them into an even greater place of weakness. You can read the whole chapter in the mighty victory at the end. It ends well, by the way. It's a great story. But God says this, here's the strategy. I want you warriors facing a massive army. You couldn't even count the camels. They're like the sands of the sea. I, I want you to leave your swords behind. Put down your shields. Don't take your chariots. I just want you to send out the worshipers. And as the worshipers walk out, they're going to sing that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever and armed with nothing but a song. In other words, complete dependence on God to fight this battle. They had the prophetic word. They'd been in his presence and now they activate the strategy. And when they did that, God shows up. Now, I want to read you one final verse here and, or maybe a couple more, but this one is, is about our posture as we stand in his presence, as we obey the strategy. Here's what Jehoshaphat prayed out. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or a plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us. I want you to get this today. We're going to stand in his presence. We're going to be a part of his house and we're going to cry out to him. This is our defenseless, powerless strategy that enables the power of God to come in. And I want to embrace my weakness. I want to embrace those things in my life that I can't fix in dependency and make this declaration. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I can't fix this, but I'm looking to you. One more verse. Here's the promise. Here's God's response. Every time the people of God position themselves in this way. Isaiah 40. He gives power to who? To the weak. 
He gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord or those who trust on the Lord or those who enter a season of pursuit, what's gonna happen? You're gonna renew your strength. You're gonna mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. There's a unique word and I'll close with this. He says, those that wait upon the Lord. And we think about waiting on God. A lot of times we think about a, a dull marking of time. Like, you know, you're tapping your watch. Lord, I've been praying for a spouse for two years or I've been praying for an upgrade for five years. I've been, I've been just waiting on you and, and time's rolling by. It's not a watching the clock or a marking of the calendar. This Hebrew word, kava, to wait. It means this, to be bound together with the object of your waiting. So as you wait on the Lord, as you fast, as you pray. You know, it says in Ecclesiastes that a, a three-stranded cord is, is not easily broken, that there's strength in a three-stranded cord. And I want you to look at this. And you take your life and your circumstances and then not yet together completely, but there's the availability of the power of God and the answers of God. And then you take your pursuit fasting, your prayer, your humility, positioning yourself in His presence. And as you wait on the Lord, something begins to happen. He starts to twist and bind together your circumstances, your intercession, His power and His answer. And as we wait on the Lord, our strength is renewed. Our powerless turns into power. Our, our need turns into His sufficiency. And we're going to come out of this fast stronger than ever. So today I would encourage you to embrace your weakness and stand in his presence. And maybe as we conclude, I want to pray over you as a community, but perhaps there's someone who is in a place where you would say, I don't know what to do, but actually in that posture, my eyes have not been on the Lord. I want to invite you. Maybe you've tapped into the stream and you're just getting to know a movement church and you're hearing this guy today speak a little bit, but maybe you're there and you say, Pastor Dave, I'm away from God. I'm not standing in his presence. I'm not completely dependent on him for my future. And I know I need a savior. Perhaps you walked with God months ago, years ago, and things happened. You got bitter, you got angry. It didn't work out. You walked away from him and his house, but it's time he's calling you back. I wanna invite you very simply right now to take this moment to say, Jesus, I wanna be bound together with your purpose for my life. I, I wanna once again know you and your strength I want to give up my agenda and say, Jesus, be the Lord and King of my life. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, whether you've been away for a while or perhaps you've never made this commitment, it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it's pretty simple, yet it's profound. You simply believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Something supernatural takes place. So I'm going to pray a very simple prayer and ask you to, to join with me, agree with me if God's speaking to you right now. And then after we pray, there's some folks waiting there. There's a, a point on the website where you can connect with us and uh, some of our leaders are gonna contact you. We're gonna pray with you. But right now, I'm gonna turn to Jesus and, and pray this prayer. And if you need to make a comeback and make Jesus Lord of your life, pray this with me. Lord, I need you. I can't fix myself. I can't help myself. I've tried it on my own, it doesn't work. And I know right now that I need you, Jesus. And I'm asking you to be my savior and my Lord. From this day forward, I, I 
believe that you died on a cross. I, I believe that you came to this earth, shed your blood for my sin. I, I believe that you rose again from the, from the dead and you're coming back for your church. And so right now I put my faith in you. I say, Jesus, forgive me, be my savior. And from this day forward, by your grace, I will live as your disciple. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.